Hello, friends. My name is Aliza Kelly. I'm a celebrity astrologer, three-time author, and host of this podcast, Stars Like Us. Think of Stars Like Us as your favorite nighttime talk show that just so happens to be released every Monday morning. Each week, we connect with another amazing expert guest, and together we talk about everything under the sun. But before we get into today's episode, take a moment to rate this podcast five stars. Why? Because you're the fucking best. All right, now let's do it. Sit back, relax, and get ready for another out of this world conversation. This is Stars Like Us. everyone. Welcome back to Stars Like Us. I am your host, Aliza Kelly, and it is such an honor to welcome a fellow Pisces moon onto today's episode. Grace Helvig, everyone, a Libra sun, Pisces moon, Libra rising, which we know what that means, born near dawn. Yes. Yes. Born at the time of dawn. Yes. Very early in the day. So for those who are unfamiliar with Grace, I, you know, you know, I hate it, but I also, I'm, I'm here for it. I can tolerate it. Grace Helbig is a comedian, podcast host, and content creator who's been making digital content since 2008. I had the immense pleasure of being on Grace's podcast, Not Too Deep, just a couple of months ago. It, we had a fabulous conversation, incredible time. And Also, in addition to Not Too Deep, Grace is also the co-host of the podcast, This Might Get Weird, Mm. and is also a reality TV binger in a graduate program studying depth psychology and creativity. We love to see it. We love that Pisces moon at work. Yes. And then I also saw, because I'm an avid social media follower of yours, that you have a house. Mm. You have a cool house. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Literal literal house. (laughs) Yeah. 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 (laughs) You have many astrological houses, 12 in fact, but in addition to those, you have a physical, a cool house. I have a a house that I'm actually, I've been spending recently trying to add some domestic touches to it. I think it's that spring cleaning vibe that everyone's got going that literally the rest of my day today is like going through old closets, cleaning everything out, and then trying to add some fun decor as much as I can. So, and this is the the highball house. Oh, the highball house! Yes, my friend Mamrie and I uh, we have a vacation rental property in Palm Springs called the Highball House, which is uh, we just recently got it kind of renovated by our like master design friend Claire Thomas, and it is gorgeous. It's uh, Claire's original vision for it. I think her logline was. Imagine a Pan Am flight to Morocco. Oh, shit. <laughs> I <know. laughs> don't mind if I do. <laughs> I unfortunately can't imagine that, but I can't wait to see how this turns out. And so, yeah, she's really renovated the place. And it's just a very fun, bright colored, lots of patterns, very Palm Springs destination kind of vacation rental that is... Uh, very surreal to me still. I, I love it. It's so great to have you on the show. So many different things that you do. So many amazing things to talk about today. But first, yes. let's get this fucking birth chart up and running. Okay, wait, I have mine pulled up. I think my son oh. is in the 12th house. Amazing. Perfect. Yes. 
Yes. I'm yes. A very, very, very new to astrology in terms of actually trying to learn the language, the uh, symbols, and all of that. And I got into it for like, let's say, a week or two straight. And then got very overwhelmed with the memorization of all of it. My brain kind of clutters and clusters all of the information. So your ability to decipher all of it is so exciting to me. Well, I like to sort of come up with these mottos. I don't know what... I guess that might be my Virgo Mercury. I, I, I don't know what it is. It's like half I'm like impressed by it. And then the other half, I'm like, you fucking annoying ass bitch, like coming up with mottos all the time. But my new one is, you know what you need to know when you need to know it. Mm, I love that. Thank you. I do too. And I feel like it really lends itself to this material so nicely because the whole point of astrology or tarot or anything metaphysical is that like, it is a conversation between your consciousness and these different like very esoteric languages. Yeah. So there's like, you know, I, I, especially when people are trying to learn astrology or tarot or another practice, or even just like memorize different types of crystals and their properties or whatever they're interested in. I feel like oftentimes because of how mainstream and like pervasive and ubiquitous this material has become, people feel like they have to know everything mm-hmm. or you get your birth chart and you're like, I need to understand what all of this means. But like the the trick is that no one will ever. Yeah. It's impossible. The whole point is that it is just this constantly unraveling, unfolding black hole. And certain things are going to be more significant and important in certain times of your life than they will in, on other times, yeah. you know? So it might be that like, Now, if we talk a little bit about your son in the 12th house, you're going to be like, oh shit, I really want to go deeper in that. But that's because you'll know what you need to know when you need to know it. Love it. Absolutely love it. Love it. it. I know. That's one of the things I think about astrology too for people just from like an outsider point of view is that it can seem because there's no hard, fast, like definitives necessarily. And it is like evolving, like you said, a conversation that it can seem very like, what's the point then if it's not giving me concrete answers? Or it can seem very freeing that you're like, I have to interpret this at the right moment that makes the most sense for me. Yeah, yeah. I I really love that. I spend a lot of time sort of like musing on that idea of the value of astrology not being a quantitative value and it being a very qualitative practice. And, you know, us living in a world that for lots of good reasons has you know, a scientific method and important ways of being able to hypothesize and come up with new technology, new medicine, new advancements, but like, you know, astrology not being one of them. Yeah. <laughs> like, And that also like not invalidating it as a practice and as a healing modality. Mm-hmm. Actually, while we're on this topic, I would love to ask you about depth psychology yeah. because there is a ton of overlap between modern astrology and depth psychology. Yeah, I'm in a a program right now, a graduate program that I've been in for about a year and a half that recently changed its name, which I'm really happy about to uh, depth psychology and creativity. And it was originally called Engaged Humanities and the Creative Life, which is a little bit more amorphous and is like, what does that even mean? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, with like, you know, hintings of depth psychology. And now they've kind of shortened it, made it more straightforward. But in general, it's been really interesting. I didn't know anything about depth psychology or like C.G. Jung, who's a big proponent and James Hillman that we learned about in this program before I signed up. But I was searching at the beginning of the pandemic for 
something else that wasn't online. I've been working like for a decade just in the digital space and it became very hard in a lot of ways. And so I wanted to go back into a more structured classroom. I've always been interested in psychology, but I didn't want to go like a clinical or you know, working in some sort of uh, like organizational psychology or advertising in any way, which seems to be the limiting kind of trio that you can go into if you study actual psychology. And so depth psychology being more focused on understanding the unconscious as much as we possibly can. Same with astrology, knowing that we'll never actually know absolutely anything, everything about it has been very interesting I'm like in it still. So I'm still processing like all of the things that I'm learning in the program, which can be very overwhelming. But it's very cool that it touches on, I think, a lot of different aspects, especially it as a creative in like the way we approach our creativity, the way we have a relationship with our creativity and kind of everything in between. It's been pretty wild. So for our listeners who may be familiar with the premise of psychology, but not the specificity of depth psychology. How does depth psychology differ from some of the other practices? Depth psychology, it, my you know direct understanding is that it focuses on studying the unconscious. And as a means to this concept of like individuation, which is like a person's journey towards wholeness and understanding of like their true self uh, by means of having like conversations, dialogue, and understanding like the contents of your unconscious, which is really, I mean, it sounds very woo woo and very like, what the hell does that even mean? But to me, it's very wild when you think about just the unconscious at all, period, that we all have these you know, dreams for one thing or where it like shows up. And the fact that we just go to sleep at night, but our brain creates these images and symbols and narratives and feelings and all different things while we're consciously asleep is just insane. And so it's kind of studying like what the source of wisdom is to be found in the unconscious. And it's a very kind of individual area of study as all of our unconscious are unconsciouses are different <laughs> from each other and speak in different ways. So it's still something I'm wrapping my brain around, but it's very interesting to kind of it animates the world, I think, to me in a different way than just rational thought has. Like you start to look at the world and synchronicities and signs and symbols and like deeper meanings in things that I think is very interesting and just kind of a more fun way to exist in the world than being like taking everything at surface value and trying to survive on that. So I'm still making sense of it for myself. But the basic premise is that it studies the unconscious. For any listener who has been sort of like following along, maybe on bated breath, they would slap me hard if I did not pull up your chart right now and talk about your son in the 12th house and your interest in psychology, because those two are literally, you're like a case study of having a son in the 12th house. Really? So I have to pull it up. Um, can you tell me your city and state that where you were born? Yeah. Uh, Woodbury. 
New Jersey. And what is your birthday? September 27th, 1985. And your time of birth? 8.06 a.m. Cool, cool. Okay. I'm going to share my screen because why the fuck not? Love it. And slap this thing up here. Ooh, there she is. Yeah, you see it? Okay, cool. Hello, my old so friend. So all of this data looks right to you. September 27th, 1985, 8.06 a.m. Yep, yep. There you go. Woodbury. Woodbury. <laughs> <Yeah>. Woodbury. <laughs> a much more Jersey way to say something that would be cute. <laughs> so here we have your son in Libra at four degrees. Mm-hmm. And it is actually conjunct your Mercury at eight degrees Libra. And uh, there's so many other things going on in your chart, but just kind of like honing in yeah. to this moment, to this spot for a second is so important because the 12th house is literally the domain associated with the unconscious. Mm. It is our dreams. It is the non-physical realm. It is the astral realm. Mm. It is sort of like all that does not exist in physical form, but still obviously exists, you know? And this is also the 12th house is where, you know, if someone were to have like a lot of secrets, Mm. secrets could live in the 12th house. Addictions could live in the 12th house. Infidelity could live in the 12th house. Mm. And the reason is, is because it's anything that is not visible, you know, anything that is happening in the shadows of some capacity. Mm. So it's not that, you know, someone who has their son in the 12th house is going to have like every single item, you know, have experience with every single item on that list. You could, but it also, you know, that's the point is, is that this area and having such an important planet, the sun, but also conjunct your Mercury, which is the planet of communication Mm. in this domain emphasizes and indicates how meaningful the non-physical realm is for you. The psychological, the archetypical, the exploratory, your dreams, you know, the line between fantasy and reality. And then on top of that, I think what's kind of cool too, is that you have your ascendant is in Libra. Mm -hmm. You have your sun and your Mercury in Libra. So we're going to then head over and see what's going on with Venus because Venus is the ruler of Libra Mm -hmm. and your Venus is in Virgo, which is ruled by Mercury. So Mercury and Venus meet in what's called a mutual reception where they are basically trading information back and forth. So Venus is the planet of values and Venus in Virgo says, I really value communication. Mm. I really value learning. I really value being of service in this world. And then Mercury says, and I really like to talk about the things that are important to me. I really like to talk about things because this is, you know, the communication planet. I really like to speak to my values because this brings us back to Venus. Mm. So there's this sort of flow that happens between learning, discovering, understanding, and then the prioritization and the, you know, the sort of elevation of that in your life, Yeah, which of course, like then you having a podcast called like not too deep becomes like this like perfect irony of that because of course it's so fucking deep. It's all so (laughs) deep with you, you know? (laughs) It really is wild. And it's too, I mean, that all obviously adds up. And that's one of the fun things about astrology is that sometimes it can feel very exposing where it's like, yeah, you just said everything that I, uh, yeah, (laughs) it makes sense to me. Um, 
the interesting thing, and that's why I say like it's hard sometimes to describe like um, in an articulate way what exactly it is that I'm learning because there's like the desire deeply to like learn something new and then immediately want to be like, well, I have this great piece of knowledge. I'd be selfish to hold it to myself. Let me like share it. But also recognizing that, especially in this program, like it is so personal and it is so kind of like individual that you really have to spend time processing it and really make sense of your experience with all the material before you even decide to kind of like, you know, share it with the world. So I do right now have that like, oh, I'm learning really cool and interesting things. I don't necessarily have all the words to explain them externally to people, but I have that deep desire to want to. And so that's what I'm hoping in the future I get to a place where the conversation around it and the creativity around it starts to become more clear to me. Yeah. I mean, this is it's I, I just love you being such a living example of your chart because the 12th house is also where we it's like sanctuaries. Mm. It's hermitude. It is sort of sequestered from yeah. the rest of the world. And it is in this sort of like, you could think of like monks in the 12th house, you know, like it's having that kind of like, I'm on a retreat, I'm in an ashram, I'm not like interacting with the rest of society as I am learning about these things. Yeah, that's been one of the interesting things after like having worked in the digital space for so long, you kind of condition yourself to this idea of a, you know, performance or communication through like public forums and through like social media platforms all the time. And so you feel, especially when you start like working and technically have a tangible career in that world, that you are pressured to continuously be existing outwardly and front facingly on those platforms where I've had a big conflict internally the last two years of wanting to retreat and wanting to go into student mode and literally just be a student in the broad sense of the word of just kind of... <laughs> I always joke about how I am just a creeper on all these social media platforms. Now, I don't participate <laughs> as much, but I love to watch the discourse and observe what's going on and just be in kind of like wallflower observation mode right now. But it gets very stressful and tough sometimes to really create the boundaries that you need between social media and content creation and also kind of serve your purpose of wanting to learn at the same time kind of quietly and hermeneutically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The last thing that I'm going to share on your chart is that, you know, I think that what's what's really cool is that you have this moon in Pisces in the fifth house, which is the creative house. So you are also very nurtured because the moon shows what nurtures us mm -hmm. by your artistic creative practice. Yeah. So it's, I guess, sort of how I would synthesize it is just being so mindful and continuing to be mindful of like, well, what's art for sharing? Yeah. What's art for the public? What's art for me? What's art for my friends? Mm -hmm. What's art like how like these different tiers of like who you make art for yeah. and how you disseminate that information? Yeah, that's been my huge kind of overarching question because in doing all this like study and uh, understanding kind of deeper modalities, I obviously constantly and immediately related to the way that we have relationships with social media. And I'm really fascinated just by the 
repercussions for better or worse of being so logged on and you know uh, connected to everyone and everything and having just like infinite resources of information and communication from the minute we wake up to the minute we go to sleep. And so it's been a very interesting thing to really question like the ego feeding nature of creating content versus like the soul feeding nature of creating content. And it totally it's hard. And I feel like I'm in that phase right now of really quietly analyzing it for myself and trying to make sense of it because you can really lose yourself online really easily. So take us back. Take us back to the beginning of how did this all start? How did it scale? And you know how has it changed yeah. to find yourself contemplating the things that you're considering now? Well, after I went to college in New Jersey, and then I moved to Brooklyn after I graduated, and I was doing improv comedy at the time in New York, and also trying to audition for whatever <laughs> was available. But at the same time, the internet had kind of like quietly and sneakily started going, and my uh, college roommate and I had moved to Brooklyn together. We had both taken editing classes in college and found these like two girls named Beth and Bao that were making these vlogs. And it was like the first time I saw a jump cut happen online. I was like, this is genius. This is incredible. Like the way that they're able to manipulate and make their just, you know, simple conversations so much funnier through these like edits so interesting. And so we started making these little video blogs, vlogs in our apartment about our experience in Brooklyn. And we were posting them on a YouTube channel called Grace and Michelle. And from there, a website called My Damn Channel had found my videos and they were looking for a host of their website that had like original comedy and music content. And so I kind of started working with them and created this web series called uh, Daily Grace that went on their website five days a week, Monday through Friday, and was meant specifically to promote the content that they had on their site. But they gave me kind of free reign to do anything that I wanted every day. So I got to quit my waitressing job at the time and work from my gross apartment in Brooklyn and make these videos Monday through Friday. And it was like, oh my God, like I've arrived. This is amazing. And did that for a couple of years, five days a week, uh, while still thinking that like traditional media and improv was gonna like be the ticket in some way. And then YouTube was kind of growing and things were happening over there. And we decided to move the Daily Grace content over to YouTube since it was only on their website. And when we put it on YouTube, Obviously, I worked for this company, but I did everything myself. I was shooting, editing, posting, promoting all by myself. So after a few years of generating just consistent content on YouTube, again, Monday through Friday, it slowly built over time to a couple million followers. And uh, the scary part was that at that time, you know, everyone was still trying to figure out the business side of YouTube and how does this industry expand? And traditional media was like, this place is stupid. There's nothing there. Meanwhile, new media secretly was like, oh, we'll show you. And then I had these followers and had this content and this like library of stuff. But the Daily Grace 
term was technically owned by MyDem Channel still. So in like 2012, I had to end my contract with them after some bad negotiations. AKA they didn't want to negotiate on their part. <laughs> AKA, in AKA, other words. AKA, they didn't want to budge on anything. So I was like, I have to start over on my own then because uh, I can't keep doing this because I'm I'm the one doing all of it and you guys are taking all the credit. So I kind of moved over to my own channel, which was my original like YouTube channel that I started in my editing class in college. <laughs> And had to kind of weirdly explain to an audience who at that time like didn't understand any of the behind the scenes, whereas I didn't really understand the scope of how YouTube was growing, that like I'm moving over here now. There's some business stuff that's been going on, but don't worry, everything's still the same. I just can't use certain phrases or certain like call certain days of the week different episode titles the way I used to. Um, and it's just like the legal thing. And so that was wild because that was kind of the first real testament of the power of connection of a a person with an audience that they all kind of moved over to this other channel and supported me. And it was really truly like a a tangible or like just a real look at the power of internet culture kind of growing in a way that was very dedicated and very connected and very powerful. And so started making content over there for a while. And then the space, I feel like, just had taken off for years. And st- I mean, it's it's a bit of an unfamiliar territory to me now because back then, it felt like there was a lot more collaboration for the sake of pure like enthusiasm for all of us in this together. Like High Tides Raises All Ships on YouTube because... We're like the misfits that traditional media is disregarding, but little do they know we're having more fun and a deeper, more profound connection with our audiences over here. And so it was a really kind of true wild, wild west of discovering platforms and discovering these ways of communicating and creating without gatekeepers that was so commonplace in anything related to entertainment or media. And so it was wild and it felt like only now, I think in the last couple of years, have I been able to actually process like what that experience was like. Because I think at the time, you're just kind of going with this huge flow of energy and opportunity and not really being conscious of the scope of everything and how big everything's becoming. And also the responsibility in a sense of like that the numbers that you see subscribing or liking your videos aren't just numbers. Like they're, they're people that have a real connection with you. And as someone that is very introverted and private, it was always a bit of like a push and pull of like uh, wanting to be available online, but also wanting to have my real world offline. And transparency and authenticity were these like big tent poles of content creation. Suddenly, I remember like, I don't know, a couple years after I started, like maybe 2012, 13, 14 ish, I remember hearing from someone that like there was a poll done and uh, high school students have said that their number one career aspiration was content creator. And that blew my mind because I still hadn't even like 
accepted that that was my actual job at the time, let alone it being some sort of aspirational career path. Because uh, we were just trying to figure everything out as as it was unfolding. And so now the world that everyone's in, where literally my parents are texting me when they see a podcast or a, a video post. <laughs> I'm like, oh, right. Social media is everywhere now. And I remember getting Instagram for the first time and being like, huh, I had to post content over here now too. This is just too much. And having a hard time understanding microblogging is what they called Twitter. And I was like, I don't understand this. And I don't see how this is valuable. <laughs> and then cut to now, it's like the true place of profound and stupid, but like really kind of huge conversations. Like uh, the president uses Twitter and it's just a wild world that we live in now. So that's kind of in the last couple of years, I felt like I started to have a relationship with content creation that wasn't solely exciting and it wasn't like super fulfilling. It felt very like grinding on trying to like keep up with everything. And so that's kind of why in the last couple of years, I've taken a step back and I've started doing school and I'm just kind of like looking at the experience that I've had and trying to understand it in a way that I couldn't at the time. And that's where we're at. <laughs> I, I mean, I have so many, just so many thoughts, so many, th- such a rich story. And I, I mean, I think the first thing that comes to mind is just like wanting to recall something that you just said, which is like, over the past 10 years, this went from being like alternative media yeah. And when I say alternative, I don't mean alt-right listeners. Alt does not just mean alt-right. I know that's alternative the, media. But that's a great way to put it in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. It was this like counterculture, this like not even attempting to be, you know, pro- in protest of traditional media. It was solely just an exciting kind of respite for people that didn't have access to traditional media ways of telling stories or creating their art. I mean, the amount of auditions that I was going on and feeling just like, oh, well, that one fucking sucked. And oh, that one, it like I could sense when I walked in the room that this is a waste of everyone's time. And then in, like loving getting on the subway and going back to my apartment to know that I had the safe haven of the internet to go create on without any gatekeepers being like, no, you're not skinny enough. You're not blonde enough. You're not sexy enough for this thing. And so it was totally, it was a great, incredible moment of like expression and experiment for everyone. Yeah. It's, I think that it's, it's really interesting how it has totally transformed. I was listening to the New York times podcast, the daily about, you know, when the Joe Rogan, Spotify, I don't want to say scandal, but like, you know, when that situation. was situation, <laughs> right? Like <Yeah. laughs> uh, awareness <laughs> yeah, conversation yeah. was happening. And the two hosts of that podcast said something that I've really been, I, I, I've been thinking about since then. And it's been quite a few weeks, which is that, you know, the, the Joe Rogan experience, <laughs> like philosophy, 
is that like, hey, like I'm just a guy like interested in these things and talking to these people. Like it's really, you know, it's like this isn't mainstream media. This is just like my inside my brain. Like these are my passions and my pleasures. But like it's not, yeah. <laughs> you know, like he's making hundreds of millions of dollars. Like the amount of money that is going into this is wild, yeah. you know, unfathomable. And he has hundreds of millions of listeners. So this is mainstream media. That is mainstream media now. That is no longer, it is not not alternative media. It is not niche media. It is not indie media. It is fully mainstream media, but yet it still has the sort of airs and the ethos, mm -hmm. right? It's still presenting itself as this like, yeah, we, we do things a little differently yeah. here. Like it's yeah, not yeah. CNN, but it's like, is it like, what's the difference? Like you actually might have more listenership than a CNN show, Yeah, you know? And that I think, you know, I've been just like really ruminating on that because we haven't really, I think on a societal large scale level adjusted for that. Yeah. We've still created this like, oh, there's the old school and the old school has more power and the old school has more prestige. But the truth is, is that old school entertainment is like, has no fucking idea what to do with themselves right yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. It's a very strange, strange time. And it's weird because that, like that kind of mentality, the Joe Rogan mentality is like, it's multifaceted where it's like, it's an easy crutch so that you have no responsibility. But, and you can say that we're just, you know, homegrown and homemade. And, you know, that's, and that is part of the allure, but you can't help but think that there's an infectiousness of, you get a certain type of attention for a certain type of presenting yourself. And then you have to take responsibility for like utilizing that trope over and over again. It's kind of the same with like when YouTube, there was a period of time where everyone's doing all these challenge videos and they're so stupid and they're so... And it's like everyone was adding drinking to everything that they were doing. They're like, we're going to do this thing and we're going to take a shot every time we do that. And then you get a lot of views for this thing. And then you start doing that thing over and over again. But then the overall message is that this is just like binge drinking, like glorified. <laughs> and maybe we need to take a step back because this isn't healthy for the creators or the, you know, people, the audience watching this, that it's like, there is something about the responsibility that is, I think, an inherent learning curve for everyone when making content and and having a following and i'm sure people disagree with with that that you don't need to take certain types of responsibility i don't know i'm just of the mindset that it's like there is a responsibility to like what you're doing and to be actually aware of the amount of people that you are connecting with in certain ways and that whole like why is he feeding his ego or is he feeding something that he thinks is more soulful i don't know you know, I, I think that what kind of disturbs me about it, uh, there's a lot of things, but I think that what on a large scale disturbs me is that the tenets of authenticity and vulnerability are certainly like two of the core values that define this type of new media. But if you know, Joe Rogan or like the Joe Rogan archetype mm -hmm. is still rolling in and like dirty sneakers and like a, like a ripped up shirt, yeah. you know, and hasn't 
grown into the truth yeah. of what his podcast or someone like that's podcast is generating, where they are, you know, the type of influence they have, the type of dedicated listenership that comes to them, then that is a contradiction mm-hmm. of authenticity. Yeah. You know, that is then that is a role self that is playing to a trope that is outdated. Yeah, well, that's the thing that I, I... It's it's not recognizing the persona versus the person. That there is, I think, a huge... This is what I'm really fascinated. I write about a lot in school and I'm trying to make more sense of because for myself, I think a bit of like kind of a crisis moment was recognizing that I was existing more as a persona version of myself rather than myself. And if I strip away the persona, who am I? I don't know. And that's very like lonely and chaotic to like be in that feeling. And it's one thing if you're going to say, I'm playing this part, this character. And so I'm playing the authenticity of this character versus this is just me. I have a hard time believing anyone that has a a big following with a lot of influence isn't tapping into some aspect of persona when they're creating content versus like authentic true self. And that's the hard thing. It's a hard thing for a content creator to recognize, let alone an audience be able to discern like that it's coming from this place or that. And so I do... And I think one of my biggest concerns is that there's going to be like a disillusion for younger people that use social media, that they are going to develop persona as authentic personality versus like themselves because everything is so performative. We film everything that we do all day long. And there's... So you can't escape the aspect of performance in some way or being, I don't know, captured in some capacity. And so there's... I don't know what the way to protect around that is, but I do think that that's a huge kind of, you know, as people start kind of making more jokes in mental health realms about dissociating, like that is part of it. (laughs) You are like becoming your persona, which helps you dissolve all responsibilities because it's not actually you. It's this like version of you that gets away with stuff. Yeah. And as from one Pisces moon to another, you know, I disassociation is something that happens I will catch myself disassociating and and it also depends on stress levels, you know, but there have been times when I have sort of like come to realize that I had been disassociated for weeks on end, Uh totally checked out, not embodied at all, like not even going through motions, doing things, creating things, but like, whoa, where was, you know, like, where was I? I know that's how I feel exactly. Well, that's how I feel in retrospect, looking back at a few years of like the height of internet content creation. I'm like, that was a wild time, just scheduling wise, energy wise, creativity wise. How did I even experience that? And it's like, oh, I don't think I actually did. I think I wasn't actually there for it. So when I right. like, I hear a lot of creators now too that have either moved away from content creation or have you know pivoted in some capacity that they say when they look back at old videos of themselves, it's like watching an alien. And it does feel like that because you weren't even present for that experience because <laughs> it's so surreal sometimes that how can you process in real time what you're doing, the context of it, let alone the influence that's growing from what you're doing. It's pretty wild. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can't imagine making 
videos at that volume for that many years, there's nothing I love more than being in person, you know, like mm. doing hosting events in person, doing workshops. I love public speaking. I, cool. I, it's like, I really get a lot of energy from it. But part of that is that I enter like a fugue state. Yeah. <laughs> I'm there. It's me, but I can't tell you a damn thing I said. Uh-huh. I have no memory. And that, you know, because in the past few years, I haven't been able to do like large in-person events. Most of what where that is coming out is like on appearances, Mm -hmm. you know, if I will do an appearance on like the Drew Barrymore show, or even when I do my celebrity astrology investigation, when you have a camera in front of you, you can also kind of like, when you, when the nerves subside, then the fugue state for me comes out, you know? And like, it's kind of one of those, like, did I do a good job? I don't even know if I did a good job. I guess we'll have to see it, you know, like I'll have to see if (laughs) I did a good job because I can't even remember, but to live constantly in that state, if you're a full-time content creator influencer. Dangerous to me. It feels dangerous. It's like a survival mode that your body... Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, your creative brain shifts into to get you through something and to do as well as you can without being interrupted by like real present anxieties in some capacity. Uh, And it's it works for a time being, but it's not sustainable. And it obviously creates burnout for people. It creates like crises of persona and self. It like creates really chaotic tensions with relationships with social media. And you see, I think it's partially attributed to why you see like certain people that you like suddenly act out in ways that you're like, that was unexpected. I mean, I'm sure you could see it in charts and things much more clearly. But I do think that, yeah, there's a an unconscious kind of like tension that can grow if you're not like... I don't know, connecting with it in some way or trying to understand a relationship with it in some way. Yeah. Linking this back to astrology also, you know, the 11th house is the area of the chart that we have sort of like collectively decided represents social media because it's large masses of people Mm -hmm. that are not, you know, your peers, that are not your partners, that are like more macro scale humanity at large, right? And it's also technology and it's the you know, it's sort of like the collective zeitgeist. The 12th house is sort of like the collective unconscious, but the 11th house is more of like the public facing zeitgeist. But what I sort of had this realization within the past year that like uh, until about 10 years ago, 20 years ago, the 11th house was almost as inaccessible as the 12th. Mm. You know, the 11th house of like reaching that volume of people was not something that you could just easily find, you know? So it's almost like in the past, in our generation, we are, have our old human minds and wiring and mechanics that are at, that are reflected in the chart through hundreds of years of sort of these designations. Mm -hmm. And we've turned them, you know, we fast forwarded so exponentially that we don't even, you know, what does it mean to be responsible for millions of people online? What does it mean to get millions of derogatory, hateful comments at a time? We don't have the like biological evolutionary mechanisms for dealing this. We barely even have it represented in astrology, you know, in a meaningful way. Yeah, You know, it's like, we're not really built like computers were organic natural beings 
<laughs> but yet we are treating ourselves like computers. Yeah, it's I was yeah, that's so interesting because I was going to ask you too like the world of social media I feel like psychology is trying to study obviously the way our brains are affected by this technological advancements and our ability to now communicate at any point about anything. I yeah, wondered if astrology updates in any way or gets affected by the obvious like it's one of the most obvious evolutions of you know our culture currently and it shows no signs of stopping in any way so it's interesting to hear how that reflects in astrology yeah and you know i i wonder if the 12th house which is you know as we were talking about like the non-physical world mm-hmm. the completely inaccessible domain who knows if Maybe in our lifetime, that is going to be an accessible space. I I don't even know what that could look like or mean. But if the 11th house, which was like really reserved, it was theoretical. You know, if something theoretical became something applied, then potentially the most mystical, theoretical, a non-tangible thing could also have a physical application in our lifetime or the next, which is also like, whoa, what the fuck? That's so mind bending. Yeah, it's very wild. I have heard all these theories too about, you know, all these the new movies that are coming out that are very like grandiose about multi-dimensions and brains and all these things are kind of like conditioning us for this reality to become in our real lives and trying to use it through like Hollywood stories right now so that people have experienced it in some capacity. And if if in any way we find out that we're living in a multiverse and that, you know, there's many different versions of ourselves that uh, people have at least been primed in some way for it, which is interesting. But yeah, I, I the only thing I really know is that I don't know anything. And so (laughs) really my kind of philosophy on life and that anything is kind of possible um, as we continue to grow. I'm just so curious too, because, you know, I'm millennial generation. So I knew a time when we didn't have this access. And even if I don't remember it, you know, viscerally, it's still like embedded in me somewhere. And for the Gen Z uh, kids, I'm like, I, because they've been born into this, this is all they know. They have no nostalgia of not having this. Will they have some retreat to nature? Will they have some revolt against the being so plugged in and have some, you know, living off the grid kind of inherent to balance out just how one sided their technology has been for them? Curious. Yeah, I, I wonder that too. And then I wonder, like, am I? Like literally wishful thinking. Because, you know, the obviously like the endorphins, like the fucking dopamine shots of <sighs> it's an addiction. Yeah. I mean, it's it's fascinating because it it doesn't surprise me that obviously mental health and astrology and things like that have become, you know, quote, trendy for people online, because I do think collectively the unconscious is like thirsty for some sense of meaning that isn't found in numbers of likes online. And so I I am curious where those avenues end up going for everyone. Yeah. The last thing that I feel, I guess I'll kind of like leave us with this and then I'll ask you your questions and pull the card, which is like, 
TikTok really feels like it is going to fuck everything up. And I don't necessarily mean that. Like it's, I don't even mean that in like a moral way, but in the past, (laughs) like you had to like work hard to build a following. Like I'm still working really hard, you know, like on Instagram, you know, like I'm building your brand, like, you know, churning away, you know, building it years, you know, committing, investing on TikTok. I'm going to surpass my following on Instagram on TikTok with doing minimal work, almost nothing. And that's mean some things, you know? Mm. Yeah, there's, I'm... See, TikTok is, it's weird because it's this platform that I keep having like this kind of that nagging desire of like, you do internet, so you need to figure this out. This is part of the umbrella of things. But I've had this like internal resistance to it for like years now and still can't fully bring myself to sit and understand and get my for you page like you know figured out and like find the content that I want and so I'm trying to listen to my internal self a little bit and be like maybe this isn't something you need to figure out first of all because it already seems like everyone's on there and everyone is saying everything that's possible to say about absolutely everything on there so what world needs me adding to this already very full platform of things Yeah, I'm with you that it literally has become a place where people can skyrocket. And I feel like every time I open it, there are videos being like, trend alert, use this sound to get this. Use this, uh, these type of, you know, the way that you write title cards or this and this. And it's so, it's all techniques to manipulate the platform to get followers to what end? Like, that's my question is like, what's, you can, get rich quick. It feels very pyramid schemey in a way. And it's like, here's the fast track to a hundred thousand followers in a month. But like but a hundred thousand followers on TikTok like does not equal a hundred thousand followers. Like even from a monetary perspective. Yeah. Doesn't equal a hundred thousand on Instagram. Doesn't equal a hundred thousand on YouTube. It's crazy. You know? I think it's really weird. You know, I think that TikTok, I agree with you. Like I've said it before and I will continue to say it like intuitively something feels strange to me about the way that TikTok is structured. And I don't know if it's maybe because I'm an elder millennial who like got a Facebook and like knew Mark Zuckerberg's story and like had my, and you know, I remember when my parents went on and I was like, guys, get off. Like, come on. I I remember my mom sent my aunt an email in seventh grade and then we called her like, did you get it? Did you get the email? And it like blew my mind. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, like I, it might be that like, TikTok, you know, it not having this sort of having no nostalgia, you know, makes it also something where I'm like, what the fuck is this? This is a freaky ass shit. Like who these these aren't even real people, you know, like these are robots. Like (laughs) this isn't real. Also, I find it very difficult to like, and again, this is just, I know it's hard to even like criticize or question anything about it because it's coming from a place of, I don't really even know how to utilize this platform. So I understand that my ignorance is part of my confusion about it. But I, and just like going on occasionally, I find it so hard to find like a person that you like a video and then you follow their account, but then you can never find that person again, unless you go to their actual like page 
and it can't, like the people that you're following, you'll see videos, but they're all out of temporal order. And there's just, it's a very uh, not intuitive to me system of being able to find content creators and like invest in their content with ease. The way that I think you can do a little bit more on Instagram. I still find Instagram a bit chaotic too, but there's probably some method that I'm not understanding. And maybe that's okay that I don't understand it. I, I think it is okay. I think it has to... It, I mean, you know what you need to know when you need there to know it, go, right? There go. <laughs> okay. So let me ask you, I'm going to fold these questions together, yeah. uh, which is, what do you believe in and how does magic show up in your life? Mm, um, well, I think I kind of touched on this throughout, but like, I believe that I don't know everything. That's <laughs> definitely my core belief is a, a curiosity about things uh, with the acceptance of, of never knowing, you know, the absolute truth of the universe, let's say. And magic shows up for me. Well, it's actually been really great in this program. It's a lot about... James Hillman talks a lot about, you know, re-ensouling the world, like putting soul back into the world and seeing the animated possibilities in kind of, you know, uh, God-given nature and like man-made things. And I find that even though it's a little amorphous, I find that very exciting. Just the idea of like soul and establishing and reestablishing that. Cause I do feel a little bit uh, like doing content for so long and feeling not connected necessarily. It kind of like destroyed my concept of soul without me really knowing it. And I feel like I'm getting back to understanding what it means to have a passion for your creativity, your art, and to feel connected to it in a way. That's how I felt when I first started making content with no expectations of you know monetary or uh, success or, or popularity. I'm just like feeling like it was important for me to make. I love that you're like, ca- <laughs> yeah, I casually feel like uh, my soul, soul has been sucked dry of me. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I, uh, you're yeah. like, I, I casually lost my soul. It's think, okay. Yeah, I call it social media. It took it from me. Oh, wow. Bit, but it's, uh, it's okay. I think that um, it, having comedy as a default has really been a helpful healing tool for all of it for me. So Grace, I would love to conclude our beautiful conversation by pulling a tarot card for you. I would you. love that. Do you have a question that you or something that is a curiosity that you would like to Ooh. look at? How how broad can this be? Can I have a question? The more specific, the better. Okay, the more specific, the better. Okay. Well, I'm ending my program at the end of this summer. So can it be something about how will this affect my world then so better like maybe how does this program integrate into the rest of your life yes that's great you're much better (laughs) i was like i'm so bad (laughs) at coming up with questions on the spot (laughs) okay so i have three piles one two and three which one would you like me to pull from three three it is okay all right so how is this program going to integrate into grace's life upon graduation at the end of the summer. Page of Pentacles. So this archetype is young, youthful, new, 
possibilities. Mm. Pentacles is connected to something physical, something tangible, something that's being created. And then page is, you know, a beginner, Mm. uh, someone, something new. So it looks to me like there's a new thing that you are going to be creating as a byproduct of this program ending. Um, that doesn't currently exist. So it would be a container that is specifically for the processing and the integration of this rather than something that is sort of folded into the existing platforms. Cool. Ooh, that's very exciting. Much, Ooh, I love it too. Much to So where on. can we find you? Where can we connect with you? Yeah, you can find me. I'm at Grace Helbig on all social media platforms. I think on TikTok, I'm this is Grace Helbig. <laughs> You're like, hey, on, on TikTok, my number one favorite platform. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> I signed up with some username and then I was able to change it so quickly that I was like, this is also strange on this platform. <laughs> and then I'm taking a little bit of a break from Not Too Deep right now. But every Wednesday, my good friend, Mamrie and I have a very easygoing comedy podcast called This Might Get Weird. Um, And yeah, that's every Wednesday. Thank you so much. This was so lovely. Thank you. 